Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited for this week's show. It is our annual F This Summer show, where we run down the uh, movies of the summer. It's going to be a weird one this year. <laughs> I am joined, as always, for this special summer show by Adam Risky. What are movies anymore? <laughs> and JB. I'd like you all to refer to me as the Big Corona. No, wait, wait, hold. Big Kahuna. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting episode because not a lot of movies came out this summer. Usually we'd be talking about all the big blockbusters and tentpole releases. And this year we're going to be talking about some movies that were kicked directly to streaming or kind of came out quietly on VOD. Patrick, Uh, why don't you just reveal it? Spoiler alert to all our listeners. We're going to spend the next hour talking about Unhinged. <laughs> I haven't seen Unhinged, but I did see that they were now running a promotional campaign that was like, tell your friends you were brave enough to see Unhinged in a theater. Like, No, yeah, really? Yes, they're making you feel cool for risking your life seeing Unhinged. On the yeah. 60s channel on uh, Sirius XM, he used to do the box office results every Monday, but he hasn't done that in months and months. And today he cheerfully reported that Unhinged is the number one box office movie in the country. Way to go, Unhinged. Next week we have, what, New Mutants and Bill and Ted, correct? Yes. But Bill and Ted is going to VOD as well, so it will play some theaters. I know it's playing some drive-ins, but it will also be available on VOD, so we will be covering it because we won't be covering movies that are only playing in theaters like Tenet. Um because the filmmakers behind Bill and Ted have a conscience. <laughs> it's Are the... you willing to die for Christopher Nolan? Uh, it turns out I'm not. Uh, yeah, me, I wasn't willing me. to die. I wasn't willing to die for Christopher Nolan after the dark Knight, And I certainly wasn't willing to die for Christopher Nolan after interstellar. <laughs> no, I feel like everybody's breathing a sigh of relief because the last three people they want to hear talking about the new Christopher Nolan is us three. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> right about that after our Interstellar episode. I still have not gone back and rewatched Interstellar. Have either of you? I have. Was it any better than that first viewing? It no, it's the film that falls apart in your hands. Okay. I heard someone describe Tenet as Christopher Nolan's Black Hat, and somehow that was the best marketing I've heard of about the movie since. It's yeah, that out. only makes me want to go see it. Yeah, because I'm just like, oh, okay, it's all of his problems, just writ large. I'm into that. <laughs> right. I will say this. A long time ago, maybe years ago, they had that trailer that was basically just one reel of the movie. Yeah. You know, they showed a big chunk of it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought that looked good. I mean, I, I really thought that looked good. I I generally like his movies. I've been lukewarm on the last two, but uh, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, I would be there opening weekend. I, I was excited to see it. I just don't want to put my life and the lives of my family at risk uh, for a movie that I think looks good. Yeah, I was I was talking to my family yesterday and I was saying what a strange feeling it is that 
your hobby is now just completely irresponsible, yet an option. <laughs> it's suddenly like you're, suddenly your harmless movie going <laughs> habit has turned into a heroin addiction. <laughs> It's so weird that, yeah, like at least before when theaters were closed, it's just like, okay, this is, it's how it should be. And at least it's not an option out there. But I remember like last Friday, I was, you know, driving around and I was near like some of the theaters that we go to. And like for a split second, I'm just like, man, it would be really nice to go to a movie, but it's completely the wrong thing to do. And when has that ever been something that's crossed through your mind? ever about movies yeah no that's very true at the beginning of the quarantine on occasion when i was uh, sick of being in the house i would go for a drive just to get out of the house just to clear my head and the first couple times i found myself driving past amc south barrington but then i realized how pathetic that was so i stopped <laughs> i've done i i did that a couple times too so we we share our shame we got it bad but as uh as Adam Risky himself pointed out to me um, a couple weeks ago, the the quarantine has taught us to be patient. Now, clearly this won't be the case with Tenant, but I remember when Scoob <laughs> hit video on demand and our very own Adam Foss shelled out the money because his two children desperately wanted to see it. And according to Adam, it's awful, but he, he paid the, the price, and it was high. I thought it was high. And then... It seemed like a week later, it was free. Free on, maybe it on was HBO Max. Oh, okay. Right. Not, yeah. And it was probably more than a week, but who has any sense of time anymore? But when I saw it on HBO Max, I was like, wait, wait a minute. Like two or three weeks ago, this was $20. Um, it's very, very strange. Yeah, I yeah. saw Scoob and was very glad that I didn't spend the $20 to rent it. I spent $2 to rent it at a Redbox, and that was a, a price too high. A couple people the other night at that uh, socially distanced patio drive-in we were just talking about before you press the button, um, a few of them had seen Scoob, and before we got down to watching the movies, we had a very animated discussion about Scoob. Uh, the people who saw it, uh, agreed with Adam Thass completely. It's rough. No pun intended. <laughs> and we all agreed. Um. We we all agreed. The the template for Scooby Doo is very easy. It's a very specific story that they just repeat ad nauseum. And what what uh, what drove them to go so far afield? I mean, I want someone to be perpetrating some sort of hoax. And the kids find out, and he would have gotten away with it, damn it, if it weren't for you meddling kids. That's not too much to ask for. And maybe ripping a mask off somebody in the last five minutes. If you could somehow involve the band Kiss, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite things about how the timeline of a movie is just completely screwed up right now is the neighborhood theater by me still has all the posters for the movies that were playing in March when they closed. And they're all like sun bled, like where the colors all like bled out of them because they've just been out for so long and they're oh, faded. No. I was and they have thinking... a poster for the way back. And I'm like, Oh, that's the Saturday night premiere on HBO. <laughs> <laughs> this is like just some that... Omega man shit. Just like, yeah. sun I, was faded. Just, 
to say the exact same thing that uh, uh, Adam has to get a fan and some newspapers <laughs> and blow them and blow them through that alley where the posters are, and you've got Omega Man. My God, we have the same set of references. That is I something Omega Man said. I think I'm just going to get my laptop and play the way back on my laptop right outside of where the poster is. And I'm like, I got it for free out here, guys. Nice. I was going to suggest, Adam, that you break into the theater and show yourself Woodstock. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that theater is ever going to open again. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. No, there's a good chance that we're going to see a lot of theaters go away after all of this. Um for most of the quarantine, you know, theaters have been closed except for that one week period when classic cinemas tried to open and then gave it up, or maybe it was two weeks. Um, the music box here in Chicago has been open for several weeks, but for the most part, theaters have been closed. So everything has been streaming in VOD. We have all taken advantage of the drive-in at various points during quarantine. Um, do we start there or do you want to start at the at the beginning of summer and kind of go through chronologically and talk about the few movies that that were new that we did see? Well, in a weird way, Adam was going to the McHenry right when the McHenry opened. So mm -hmm. isn't that the beginning of the summer? I suppose For me, so. pretty much it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so your summer no, started I... with the Flintstones? My my summer did start with the Flintstones. Uh, it was an every feature. summer. Doesn't every summer start with the Flintstones, Patrick? Sometimes I, I mix it up with Jetsons, the movie. Nice. You know, just for variety. But <laughs> Get me off this crazy thing! <laughs> we're bringing back all the original voice cast except Judy, and we're going to have Tiffany play Judy. <laughs> it was a good choice in my book. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what you guys say, you traditionalists. Get with the new. Anyways. Um, yeah, it was the Flintstones and Jurassic Park. It was a real like bleed for this double feature. So, <laughs> um, but, and then I, I went the week after and I saw Billy Madison and Tommy boy and boy is watching comedies in your car. Really weird. <laughs> <laughs> like I know I'm starting to notice like what it works and what doesn't quite work at a drive in comedies are strange. Um, I hate that I have to get there like two and a half hours early yeah. to get a good spot. Yeah. Um, especially as the summer went on, like after Memorial Day, I'm just like, it's getting warmer and warmer and warmer. Like it's very uncomfortable. So I just started to kind of go back um, around August and I'm hoping that they play. I mean, I was hoping that they were playing first run stuff at some point because um, I saw the Midway is going to have new mutants and bill and ted yeah uh, and i'm just like that sounds great i'd love to go see that um or you know just start showing horror stuff so i'm hoping for that at least in you know september october but uh it's been fun um i haven't really taken advantage of like the pop-up drive-ins because for whatever reason like the McHenry's 12 bucks for a double feature and that's at a real drive-in but then if you want to go to, like some of these makeshift drive-ins it's like 30 to 50 dollars per car and if you're going by yourself that's kind of cost prohibitive yeah, you definitely make out if you have more people in the car um yeah. rusty used to do the drive-in massacre at the mchenry and i can say that horror movies from the 30s and the 
40s work a lot better when you're alone in your car than comedies do. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we went to the pop-up drive-in the other night, um, we both had a group on, so that made it a little bit more affordable. But I thought it was so funny when the music box announced that the massacre would be a month of drive-in screenings this year. Um, Adam was the one you you sort of combed through the Facebook comments and found the best, too. And the one that I've been quoting to everyone who will listen is... This year, if you want to go to every movie of the massacre, it's going to be twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> Worth it. I, yeah, I do like that. The two comments were, "I can't go all thirty-one days," and it's like, "Well, then don't go all thirty-one." Days. <laughs> or there was one person who said, "I don't have a car," and it's just like, "Do you expect a reply to that?" I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, I can't go every night and I don't have a car is like someone posting on Twitter, I can't afford everything I want to buy. (laughs) It's like if you go to, you know, they have that store five below and it's like, well, I only have six dollars. It's like, okay, (laughs) you can still go. (laughs) Um, But and and clearly it's a, a, a false comparison that. You could say, well, this is the most expensive massacre in history, but $1,200 in this case buys you 60 movies or about 60 movies. I guess not every night's a double feature, but it's the the regular massacres, 12 movies. So you are getting five times. Oh, wait, I'm bad at math, but this actually doesn't work out. If the massacre, the last year of the massacre, what was it, like 40, 50 bucks? I have no I idea. It, yeah, I don't think that, it ever went above like thirty-five or. Yeah, that seems high. Yeah. Okay, it's it's much easier to do the math if we say it was forty. Let's right. just say it was. Let's 40. say it was forty. Forty bucks for twelve movies, and now they're asking twelve hundred dollars for sixty <laughs> movies. Now I'm really bad at math. I majored in English, but in my little mental chalkboard. That's those those don't equal each other. Twelve hundred dollars for sixty is a lot more per movie than forty dollars for twelve. I believe you're correct. Yeah, I think they figured that people have more money right now, (laughs) which I don't know if you guys have noticed this and this might be peculiar to me. Don't we have more money right now? Yeah. No, so many because, people are out of work. What are you talking about? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to make a social <laughs> statement. I know things are very tight for some people, but a lot of the things that I used to do and go out and spend money on, I can't do anymore, and so I have the money. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I'm not trying to be heartless about people who are up against it financially. I'm just finding that I have a lot more disposable income because the stuff that I used to spend my disposable income in on is verboten now to me. Like movie theaters that are closed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or Got like it. shows to like sporting events, concerts, all that. I understand what you're saying. I'm not going to tell you about my personal finances <laughs> until we hit stop. And then I'll tell you about my personal finances. Oh, this is exciting. That's a yeah. This is we should exciting. start a Patreon just so Adam can disclose his finances but okay, then I get, I get but then i get the money from the patreon that makes sense 
Okay, yeah. folks, that's all we have this week. Uh, that's all for this movie. Patrick and I want to hear about Adam's personal finance. I was doing pretty good until I went to Yankee Candle. <laughs> Speaking their, of Yankee Candle. Their Halloween candle. candles come out on August 29th. I got there too early, but I did find some fall scents that I highly recommend, more so than most summer movies. Baths and Body Works, courtesy of the Bromleys, has their Halloween stuff out. Spirit Superstores are opening early, and for those of you who have a Jones, certain grocery stores have put the Count Chocula out. Oh, really? Nice. Uh, Jan went the other day to pick up a couple things and brought me back two boxes, two family-sized boxes of Count Chocula, and I had a feeling they would have it because our friend Heath Holland uh, had posted on, on social media that his local grocery store had put out the Halloween end cap in the middle of August. Yeah. So I'm all for it. Something's going on. There is a marketing push to start Halloween early. We can theorize uh, about why this is happening, but the Halloween stuff is coming out earlier this year than ever before. This has been, I think, a trend for a couple of years. I think it creeps up earlier and earlier every year. Uh, and this year it may be, you know, particularly early because of the pandemic. Um, but I've noticed every year that it, that it, it seems to be creeping earlier and earlier into September slash August. Mm -hmm. Whenever it gets to flashback weekend, that's when spooky season starts for me. That's when I'm in the mood for it. Got so, it. so I'm, I've, I've been happy to, you know, drive over to spirit hollow, a couple spirit Halloweens and. Uh, I'm almost ready to pull the trigger on the trick or treat fleece blanket. Oh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, how so, many how oh, many ahead. spirits have you been to so far? Two. Um, I've been to the one uh, that you went to uh, by Woodfield, and then the one over in the I forgot what it's called. Is it the Arboretum in Barrington? Yes. By the Ipic? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And was. The Arboretum one, um, more substantial than the than the one on Golf Road. No, um, I mean they had it in a different storefront last year, which was bigger. This one, it's a nice size, and they have pretty much everything that the that the Schomburg one has. But um, it wasn't as big as last year. From what I've seen, they've scaled back a little bit in terms of the displays. Yeah. What uh, what streaming titles do you guys want to talk about? Since nothing came out in theaters, uh, we have some Netflix originals. We have a couple Hulu movies. Disney Plus, of course, uh, surprised us by putting a couple of movies even early on Disney Plus. Um, I don't, you know, and then there was VOD titles. I, I don't even necessarily know where to start. Was there like a highlight or a pleasant surprise of the summer for either of you? I think there was one big highlight. Um, the Five Bloods. Yeah. Which uh, Netflix released in June. And it's just a terrific film. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's the best film I've seen this year. Yeah, me too. I liked it. I don't think that I liked it as much as both of you. But I've got nothing bad to say about it. And I remember June 12th when it came out on Netflix was the best day of the summer movie-wise for me because it actually felt like a real 
Friday in the summer where yeah, you had a Spike Lee movie and a Judd Apatow movie and whatever Artemis Fowl was. Um, <laughs> and I watched them all on that Friday and it was really fun. And then I kept like wanting more of those. And the closest that we came to with that later was there was that weekend where it was like Greyhound and Palm Springs and a few other movies. But there wasn't enough. Um, uh, I, I, you know, we always kind of joke about how bad the summer is like every summer show we're always like oh god this is the worst summer but this was truly the worst summer like well. next year <laughs> next year is going to be amazing compared to this summer and it just made me miss really bad event movies like i would love to watch the worst event movie right now just because it's tough when you when you continuously watch these vod titles that are of like a certain scale where it's mainly Sundance level budgets, yeah, you start to really crave having some action and some bombast and like at least *The Five Bloods* had some of that. There, it was there was some scale to it. Um, but yeah, man, I missed all that this summer the most. Yeah, I want to go back to a summer situation where every Friday. I have a choice of three big shitty movies. <laughs> I don't think I miss the big shitty movies. I I can second what you're talking about, Adam, in terms of like there's a, a certain kind of movie that we get on VOD for the most part. This year obviously is a little bit different, but a lot of the VOD stuff that I watched this summer was horror stuff, kind of that IFC midnight level movie. And... Even the ones that are good, I was trying to catch up on some this weekend, and so I watched uh, The Wretched, which is now streaming on Hulu, and I've been watching some movies for Fantasia Fest. Even the ones that I like, they all kind of blend together, and very few of them are memorable. So it's 90 minutes that I'm like, hey, that was well done. Good job, filmmaker. But it's not a movie I'm going to be thinking about six months or even two weeks from now, really. There is a certain sameness in the two films I would use to illustrate that, uh, both of which I saw because I have nothing better to do and I have six dollars, um, were Vivarium and You Should Have Left. I missed both of those. How yeah, were they? Too. They're both good, not great. They're both interesting. Both of them, each one of them rather, has a really interesting performance in it. They both seem like expanded Twilight Zone episodes. Um, the payoff in both cases isn't quite what you'd like, but it speaks to what Patrick's saying, and also what you alluded to, Adam. There's a certain style, there's a certain budget, there's a certain amount of ambition in these things, and they all start seeming very similar. My guess is... Uh, you two guys liked one of these three films more than the other two, but I would say the same thing about King of Staten Island, I Used to Go Here, and Palm Springs. I like all three of them. I like two and, of them. And I, well, again, uh, I have learned that my opinion about one of them, hold on, I'll tell you, <laughs> is so is so different from everyone else's I'm just gonna put it down to be being a curmudgeon or something um, 
I used to go here was pleasant and certainly not ambitious. Uh, Palm Springs made me laugh, but it also made me very angry because I thought it was sort of snot-nosed and derivative and shallow. Um, and King of Staten Island, um, I found problematic. But I think the, those three films have a lot more in common than they have uh, aspects that are not alike. They're very, very similar in a lot of ways. Uh, Palm Springs, uh, fantastic premise, notwithstanding. Like in terms of themes of Arrested Development and that kind of thing? Or are you yes. talking about the film? Okay. Themes yeah. of, of Arrested Development, but again, what we were just talking about, sort of the look of the film, sort of the budget of the film. And full disclosure, uh, Palm Springs... Uh, was written and directed by one of my son's AFI classmates. Yeah. In yeah. fact, um, my son read an early version of the script. So I'm, I'm sure he had a very different experience. He got to see it at the Mission Tiki drive-in this summer, which must have been really something. I've yeah, been, they've very... been having a lot of good double features with Beyond Fest yeah. out there at the time. I'm jealous of every week when I see what those double features are. And then when we look at the double features we get in <laughs> the Illinois area, it's all like, which two Spielberg movies do you want to watch for the hundredth time? I will say when we went to the pop-up the other night to see Stand By Me, it was a lot of fun and I was glad it was only one movie. And it made me wish I had gone to the drive-in more often this summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of nice to have it be just one movie, actually, because as much as I like a double feature, not just because I like to watch a lot of movies and because I feel like I'm getting more for my money, it was kind of nice to not get out of there at one in the morning. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When Stand By Me was over, you can go home and you you could still do something. Um, that uh, backyard double feature that I went to, as you yourself alluded to, by the time... You get home, it's 1 a.m., and the, the evening is over. Yeah. I liked, uh, going back to the three movies you brought up, I, I I enjoyed, I used to go here and Palm Springs from a, oh, man, these would have been movies that could have killed at, like, the Chicago Critics Film Festival type very, of experience. Very true. And there was a certain comfort to that. Like, I like having that type of movie at the beginning of May, which obviously due to the pandemic, we didn't have that festival this year. Um, so I, I enjoyed them from that standpoint. And I think Paul's, Palm Springs is actually quite a bit better than that. I think there's a lot of, um, I don't know, just like really winning performances. And I thought it was funny. And like, I thought that it had something interesting to do with the premise and everything like that. So, um, and then with the King of Staten Island, I think I just was happy to be watching it while I was watching it because there's a certain amount of like winning performances. So even the rough edges, it's like, okay, well I have to wait out this bullshit scene with Pete Davidson and his friends, but then, oh, I'm going to get like a Bill Burr, Marissa Tomei scene and I'm going to be invested in that. So I don't know. I mean, really, like, those were among the ones I liked more this summer. Um, in in King of Staten Island, it was really yeah. nice to see Pamela Adlon playing a character that's not her character on Better Things. It mm -hmm. was really great to see her being an actress. 
Um, my favorite thing, and I used to go here, was actually, um, who's the tall roommate? Oh, shoot. Tall, I forget what they call him. Tall, tall Brandon? Tall Brandon, yeah. Tall Brandon. <laughs> that whole thing with Tall Brandon and the mom <laughs> was handled so well in terms of the script in that you think it's going to be something out of American Pie, but it turns out to be very, very different. And at the end of the sequence, you think maybe the characters don't even quite have a handle on what this relationship is. I thought that was the best part of the movie. Yeah, both I used to go here and um, King of Staten Island, which I liked a little bit less, we're both really good, like, hangout movies in terms of, Adam, I'm with you. Like, I liked it being on. I liked it. You know, I didn't mind even that it was two and a half hours. When I step back to evaluate it as a movie, I'm like, oh, well, it was way too long and it didn't need this scene and it didn't need this scene and it didn't need this scene. But at the time, I was happy for it to go on because it's like, well, here's two and a half hours of the pandemic that I'm going to be entertained and in the company of actors that I really like, everybody who shows up in that movie is somebody that you're happy to see on screen. Um, I don't think that all adds up to necessarily a movie that I'm going to be coming back to, but I think both of those movies were very pleasant in the moment. And, you know, that's been kind of fleeting over the last couple of months. Just some escapism and some um an opportunity to feel joy for 90 minutes or two and a half hours whichever the case may be yeah i i'm curious what all of our impressions will be of these movies once the pandemic's over like will we ever want to go back to these or will it just remind us of the time we watched it during the pandemic what's the what's the one phenomenon that we once coined uh Please, uh, spo massive spoiler alert. Um, the movie where Denzel Washington is blind. The oh, Bone Collector? Book of Eli. Oh, the Book of yes. Eli. That's right. The Book of Eli effect. Now, this was many years ago. But was it when you get halfway through the year and you look back and Book of Eli is a lot better than you remembered? Yes. Or a lot worse? A lot better. A lot better. Okay, yeah. this is going to be the reverse Book of Eli effect. <laughs> We're going to look back on quarantine movies and say, well, like Patrick said, it was two hours of diversion, and it made us laugh a couple times, but it's like um, a substitute for a movie. It's like I'm going to chew on styrofoam instead of having lunch. <laughs> it's it's not... I was it's saying... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's almost not a real movie. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to come up with a way of describing it. I'm laughing because this is the exact text conversation I was having with Patrick about watching Project Power. <laughs> or I was saying, like, it's like if you want chilies, but you get TGI Fridays. <laughs> it's like... Not watching a movie, but watching, like, a really expensive pilot episode on FX for a series. It's like it's almost a movie. It's so close to being a movie, but it just doesn't feel like the real thing. Just misses the mark. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was, um, because I'm in love with documentaries, I've been watching more and more of those. 
now that I have every streaming service under the sun. And um, have either of you seen John Lewis, Good Trouble? Not yet. Not yet. It's quite good, and obviously it's a film that looks like homework, but it's really, really well done, and I liked it quite a bit. Um, And then there was what might have been the film I was most looking forward to in the quarantine when I chanced upon a YouTube video that was the two directors talking to someone at Sundance. These two filmmakers, I'm sorry, I don't remember their names, um, have made a film called Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, which is the story of Ren and Stimpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw and that. I saw it too. You saw the, you saw, you both saw the film. We yeah. all saw it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm amazed. What did you guys think? I thought it was pretty great, but as a Ren and Stimpy fan, there was a lot of stuff in there I did not know about, and now I see the show in a completely different light, and. I think it's a. I watch so many pop culture documentaries that are really not about anything, but they're pleasant just to watch because you like the thing. And I think this one is about four different things, and it it's really interesting. Just now, I just think of Ren and Stimpy about being about abuse and how Ren is that creator and Stimpy is everybody else, and. Which- which yeah. the film actually addresses because the film ends with uh, Crick Falusi uh, talking about that. Apparently, neither one of the filmmakers was a Ren and Stimpy fan. They sort of chanced upon it, and the documentary started as something very different. In fact, the documentary started as one of the four things that Adam is alluding to, that there was this little cartoon show that wound up influencing, as Chris Gore says at the end of documentary, it influenced every show. It influenced everything that came after it. Mm-hmm. And that's the film they started to make. And then it became another film uh, when they discovered the allegations against John Kay. And, of course, when they actually managed to get John Kay to sit down for some interviews, which apparently took more than a year. Yeah, he he. I, I don't want to give too much away about the the, the movie, but um, yeah, there's he had a lot of inappropriate relationships with underage girls, and it's horrible and terrible, and it makes you hate him. And I do give credit to the movie of they. I was talking to Patrick about this. They they don't really introduce this until pretty late in the movie, but I I did like that they put in a beat in the movie where they asked one of these women, you know, how do you think people should feel about the show? And I think that her answer is pretty interesting. And it's something that I've been wrestling with, with a lot of art ever since, you know, it's been pretty widespread. What's been a secret for a long time in Hollywood with a lot of a lot of these creators and their works. Well, Jake grew up on Ren and Stimpy. He was a huge Ren and Stimpy fan. And I used to watch it with him, and I just thought, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And also, as the documentary points out, really gross. I mean, they they were constantly cutting to these close-ups that weren't even animated, but they were these crazy drawings of bloodshot eyes and nose hair and things. And um, 
Jake and I still quote Space Madness, which I still think is one of the best short cartoons I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, it's crazy and funny. And how are we to reconcile that with not just the, not just what the film talks about at the end, but also um, the fact that clearly there was something wrong with this gentleman in terms of not being able to work at all with the people who were paying him to make the cartoon. Mm-hmm. that he was just this what was it at one point Billy West says that every genius that he's ever worked with has had had psychological problems that it goes with the territory yeah the movie I think subscribes a little bit to that idea and that's one of my issues with the movie I was certainly entertained by it and I'm not necessarily I watched some Ren and Stimpy growing up. My sister was a fan, I know, but I wasn't like way into Ren and Stimpy, so I don't hold it dear to my heart. I thought the documentary certainly shows him to be abusive and toxic. I thought it glossed over a lot of the uh, kind of underage girl stuff. Um, it introduces it very late in the movie. It talks to like basically one of the girls. Yes. Um, <laughs> I won't say it lets him off the hook because it does introduce it and, you know, it asks, it confronts him on that issue. But I just think, I think he's a much worse person than the movie lets, lets on because it's a little busy sort of espousing his genius. And I recognize you can be both things. You can be a great cartoonist and an innovator uh, and a terrible person. But I think one excuses the other a little bit in the case of this documentary for me. And, and the reason for that is they wanted him in the film. The minute you put him in the film, almost by definition, his, his horribleness is going to be downplayed to a certain extent. But I also recognize he kind of has to be in the film. I don't. There's not a movie without him. I don't think. I'm yeah. trying to imagine what that would be. I don't and, know. I, um, yeah, when I was watching it, I I I felt like they were definitely tipping into him being a toxic, horrible person more than just kind of. If anything, it was sort of like the him being a, you know, in quotes, creative genius, like was just born out of toxicity and it was kind of like his life reflecting art and then spitting it back out into, you know, just the same abuse that he took. So I, I don't know. I, I, because they had that, that met that moment where they were talking about how, you know, the created by title card. And now it's basically like the thing that was the stamp of autourism yeah. now is like the weight that hangs I'm, it's like the the thing weighing the show down. Right. So I right. definitely. I um, yeah. I, yeah. I thought it was a pretty I, complex documentary. I was impressed with it. Yeah. There's that part at the end where they ask him what he would say to the girl, and he goes on and on and on and on, and then the interviewer <laughs> points out that at no point in that screed did he apologize. I also love. The Nickelodeon executive, <laughs> who's yeah. sort of a counterpoint, and at the end she tells that great story. <laughs> well, you're gonna fire me, but I want the rights to the character of George Licker, and she's like, 
take him. Are you kidding? <laughs> I hate Jack him. Nickelodeon wants nothing to do with George Licker. He's a obnoxious, horrible thing. Um, clearly, this could be a case of it was a different time, but... Looking back, it's really amazing that that was shown on television for children. Yeah. Or is, is that just a sign of how things have changed? I think they got away with stuff because, in, in a way, because it was so absurdist and silly that it was kind of like, how could anybody take this seriously? But one of the things, and I, I mean, I don't want to overstate that. I want to say like I was hurt by it. But like one thing that I used to, you know, I used to be into like, you know, bathroom humor. So like I liked the episode where Stimpy's fart came to life as this little fart ghost and like it was this very schmaltzy thing. And in the movie, he specifically points out that he's making fun of everyone like with that. That's right. like it was it, it had nothing to do with this show also has a sentimental side. It's basically like you're forcing me to do this so I'm going to make fun of you. And the fact that it's like making fun of children, me specifically in a way, it kind of made me pretty pissed off for a few minutes. And yeah, I think that they got away with a lot of stuff with just people not knowing how to categorize it. And then it just became, you know, this is so silly. How can anybody take it seriously? And they really did have their pulse. I'm thinking at the time Jake was five or six. They had their finger on the pulse of what kids that age think is funny because there was a fake commercial for a children's board game called Don't Whiz on the Electric Fence. And Jake thought that was the funniest thing he had ever seen in his life. <laughs> um, I just watched a documentary that I want to mention very briefly. It's not a documentary I can recommend. Uh, but it's called Skin, A History of Nudity in the Movies. And I want to talk about it just briefly because it starts out and it's really great. It's actually talking about, you know, not just the history of nudity, but you're actually getting a lesson in Hollywood history and the production code and how things moved from more open attitudes to being more um, censored and regressive and then at about the halfway point, it just turns into, and then there's this movie with nudity. Oh, and yeah. then there's this movie with nudity. And, oh, we have Shannon Elizabeth in this documentary, so we got to do 10 minutes on American Pie. Um, it completely falls apart and gets very, very repetitive, and there's no new information. I was very disappointed because I thought the first half was really, really great. And where did you see Skin, he asked, for no prurient reason at all? It's uh, You can rent it on Amazon. Okay. Someone I don't remember who had posted on Twitter, like, I'm interviewed in this. And that's how I heard about it in the first place and wanted to check it out. And like I said, the, the, the first third to first half is actually really good and informative before it just turns into a celebration of nudity instead of a history of nudity. And speaking of being interviewed in this, it's not a movie. But I will say that one of the pleasures of the summer, although it was a creepy treasure, uh, was the HBO documentary I'll Be Gone in the Dark, based on the book by Michelle McNamara about yeah. the Golden State Killer, yeah. uh, who was just sentenced, by the way. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, it's 
definitely worth your time and one of the few multi-part documentaries where it doesn't seem like someone said let's make this 10 hours because they wanted to have 10 hours of television and um during most of the end credits uh friend of the site cameron clodier got a uh a tip of the hat because one of the interviews with michelle uh mcnamara that's in the that's used quite extensively was done by him yeah yeah it was really good he's in it oh you you've wound up seeing it yeah we watched the whole thing oh the last time i spoke with you about it you had not started yet hmm all right i thought it was exceptionally well done um all the stuff with the shadows of the trees being used to suggest things i thought the creature from the black lagoon analogy Got a little heavy-handed, but um, I thought it was really interesting how scary it was and how frightening the whole thing is until we find out at the end who it is. Yeah. And and all of the terror goes away because the terror, as she predicted in her book, was based on not knowing. Right. Um, have you seen any of it, Adam? No, I I have a problem with um, true crime type documentaries. I I don't want that stuff in my head, so I tend to avoid it. And I, it is pretty. I don't blame you. Yeah, it is oh, pretty it's... graphic in terms of talking about what the you know it interviews a lot of the victims and talks about what they went through. And so, if you don't want that kind of stuff in your head, it is not something you should watch. Adam, okay. I yeah. I remember when the original Criterion Collection Laserdisc of Silence of the Lambs came out. And obviously I'm a big fan of the movie, but the bonus features on the Laserdisc, these might have been ported over to the DVD and the Blu-ray. I'm not quite sure. It was hour upon hour of FBI stuff about serial killers. Mm -hmm. And I started watching it all. And three or four hours in, I was like, how am I different than a serial killer at this point? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I'm spending all my time on this. So I ejected the disc and went along on my merry way. And uh, I still remember being freaked out by the bonus features. Yeah, this one of my old friends that I worked with about 10 years ago, he was like, oh, you like horror movies, right? And I said, yeah. And he's like, do you ever go to conventions? And then I lit up because I was just like, yeah, I love them. They're great. And he's like, what about this one? Do you want to go to this one? And it was like... 10% horror yes. and 90% like H.H. H. Holmes stuff. I remember this one. And I'm just like, I absolutely will not go to that. And I'm not going to your house party. <laughs> I remember um, they were advertising. They actually like... show. Go ahead, JB. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They actually show one of those true crime conventions in the documentary. Yeah. I just remember Kane Hodder being at one of them, like, I'm here it's in a photo op as Jason, but then everybody else is, like, authors of true crime books, or, you know, it was yeah. it, it was very morbid. I can't imagine. But I know people live for that stuff, so we all have different hobbies, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not judging anybody for that. I just know that I that's where I, I draw the line. It's my fantasy versus my reality. Yeah. To each his own, the farmer said, as he kissed his cow. Speaking of to each his own, I watched a documentary called You Don't Know Me about showgirls, 
where people were doing revisionist history on showgirls and saying how brilliant it was. Uh... And I sat unconvinced for 90 minutes. <laughs> I have been back and forth on whether or not I want to watch that documentary because I am the same way. I am unconvinced <laughs> that that movie is secretly subversive. Uh, or secretly brilliant. I understand that there's entertainment value in it. I understand why people like it, but for me, it's the it's the one Verhoeven that isn't subversive, at least to my knowledge. Um, so I don't know if I can handle a bunch of people telling me why it is. I think we need to get the ultimate authority on showgirls on the phone right now, <laughs> Let me and I back. think we I think we both know who that is. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I watched so many documentaries this summer. Like I I felt like the studio that I had the most movies I watched was Gravitas Ventures. <laughs> <laughs> like every other movie, I'm just like another Gravitas joint. All right. I need more Gravitas in my life. <laughs> um did anybody watch any of the like original stuff that showed up on Shutter? Yes. I watched two movies at least. All right. Um, I watched Random Acts of Violence. Yeah, I watched that one. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they were going for, and I don't think they knew what they were going for. <laughs> it's uh, it's very frustrating because it's well made. But yeah. Very stylish. I, yeah, very stylish. I just I, Jay Baruchel shows promise as a director, but yeah, the messaging is all over the place in terms of what he's trying to say about uh, endorsement versus condemnation of violence and uh, what it means to depict violence. Because it's a very, very violent movie that then tries to say, oh, yeah, but if you show violence, you can inspire violence. And it's it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, it was it was frustrating. That's the word for it. And then um, and then I watched Host, which I don't know if it qualifies as a movie necessarily, because it's like <laughs> that's like one of the breakout minutes. hits of the summer, though. But I thought it was good. I think I'm just, I've mentioned it before. I'll watch anything that has to do with screen life. And I like all these movies, like Searching, Unfriended. They're all good to me. I don't know. I've been trying to convince my lovely wife to watch Host. I, I'm very, very interested in seeing it. And I must say, uh, Joe Bob at the drive-in is one of the things that kept me going this summer. Yeah, I watched the Slumber Party Massacre 2 and Victor Crowley. It was really fun. It's Friday again. This is a fun thing, and we're all watching it at the same time, and maybe we get special treats. Yeah, it's fun. I missed a couple of like the second movies because um, he would announce, okay, here's what I'm showing, and I would tap out or... Uh... And I don't follow along on Twitter as I'm watching. I just like to watch the show and I like to hear all the stories and uh, all the background information that he provides. But yeah, I'm excited for whatever he's going to do in October. They just announced he's got a special coming around Halloween, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and it's the weekend before, so it doesn't step on Scary Movie Night. Not that there's going to be a Scary Movie Night. Oh, well, we'll see where we're at, but 
things aren't looking good. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we, in theory, we could do it the same way we did your birthday. Oh, that's true. Now, I'm, I'm not. I'm just throwing that out there. Oh boy, we've been in this quarantine a long time. <laughs> That's... Remember, remember, Patrick, we we pioneered the All Twitter Film Festival. In fact, Darcy was soliciting input for next season's Silver Bolo Awards, and I know we're not a hundred percent devoted to horror, but when I made my little hundred and forty character list of why we might qualify, I I was impressed by it. Oh, all right, cool. I highlighted. Uh, uh, F's Movie Fest, June's Flotation, and Scary Movie Month Seven Word Reviews. Very nice. Uh, any other movies you guys want to highlight from the summer? I do want to say, I do want to say this. Thank God that Downhill got a theatrical release. <laughs> Wouldn't the two of you agree with that? Thank God that got put in theaters before the quarantine. I saw Downhill. I did not. It's not the worst, Neither but it's not great. Uh, obviously, as a remake of Force Majeure, it's not It's not Force Majeure, but it's not the worst movie I saw this summer, and Julia Louis-Dreyfus in particular is, is very good. Uh, it's short, which helps. You just answered my question because both of them did a lot of press. And a lot of talk shows when it came out. And I saw a whole bunch of scenes from the film. And it seemed to me that she was the only one in the film who was trying at all. Well, it's not that Will Ferrell's not trying. He's just doing another variation on kind of Man Baby. And uh, it's just I'm a little over the Will Ferrell shtick. And I don't remember really laughing at the movie ever, you know. It's... um. And I, I wasn't crazy about it's it's Jim Rash and Nat Faxon who wrote and directed it or it adapted and directed it. And their last movie is what, The Way Back? The Way Way Back? The Way The Way Way Back. Right. A Not film the one I that's... have a film I have a lot of uh, a lot of antipathy towards. Yeah, me too, but it's kinda of beloved. Which I don't understand because A, it's this weird amalgam of things I would remember from my childhood, but it doesn't take place in the mid sixties. So it's this weird blend of detail. And also it has the most dreaded thing. Uh, the, what the screenwriters crutch that you get a lot of different characters in one location, that whole thing. Uh, the most obnoxious example of which is little miss sunshine. Or maybe I just equate that because uh, uh, Steve, Steve Carell is in both. Uh, and if memory serves, in both movies, he's in pouting mode. <laughs> uh, speaking of Steve Carell, none of us saw Irresistible, right? Rob's review no. put me off of it. Yeah, no. Um, I guess, yeah, I had a few that like I wanted to bring up just to see what you two thought of them. Um because that's the weird thing with the summer is like, even when I like something, I'm just like, yeah, but how much did I really like it? <laughs> uh, did did you, either of you see The Rental? Yeah, I did. I what did. What did you not. think of that? I thought it was okay. I thought like, uh, 
like Random Acts of Violence, I thought it was a solid debut for a first-time filmmaker. I thought it was well-directed. I thought it kind of didn't make the point that it was maybe trying to make. Um because it takes yeah. a hard turn in kind of the last 20 minutes into being a different movie. And I don't know how well that shift works. Yeah, it turned into like this stealth VHS segment. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. Um, yeah, the, I don't know. The, um, yeah. And then whatchamacallit. I liked, I wrote a review with this on this one with Rob. I like Jasper Mall. I'm just mentioning that because. People might not have heard of Jasper Mall. It's a documentary about a dying mall, and I found it very interesting as kind of a, a character study of all the people who work inside the mall. So did, did you guys see that one? After I'm, I read your review, I wanted to see it, and it seemed to be uh, Kindred Spirits with At the Drive-In, yeah, but, but I haven't seen it yet. I want to see it, but I think I might wait until the pandemic is over because I think it's going to make me very sad. I could see that. Yeah. It made me want to go to a dying mall. <laughs> dying malls already make me sad, and right now all malls are dying, so I, I don't know if I can handle it. I got something. I got a mall. This is mall talk. So sorry, <laughs> it's not movie talk That's anymore. That's for but... our Patreons only. Okay. <laughs> My personal finances and Malta. Um, so about a week ago, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was just like, I got to go to, to FYE and Woodfield Mall. I just felt like going to the mall. So I went like on a weekday and I bought like a, I bought like a William Castle box set of Blu-rays for like 20 bucks. And the thing I remember thinking the entire time I was in the mall was like, I can't take this mask off, but I really miss mall smell. Can I sneak a mall smell or will I get COVID? And it was like that ruined it for me and I had to leave the mall. Hmm. How would you describe mall smell? Is like it still a... open? Yeah, it's still open. Yeah. Wow. Mall smell is like if you bottled the, the scent of Batman forever. <laughs> That's mall smell. Like Woodfield Mall has smelled the same ever since I went there the first time. Yeah. And there's something very comforting to me about it. I'm sure it has something to do with cleaning products. When I was in high school, I worked at the Baskin Robbins in Woodfield, and this would have been the late 70s. And um, during the quarantine, Jan was looking for Lysol spray, and she couldn't find it anywhere. And then I went to the local Ace Hardware where the, uh, the friendly hardware woman was explaining to me that this very um, generic and very um, uh, scary-looking can was had exactly the same active ingredients as Lysol, but nobody was buying it because it didn't say Lysol. So I brought it home because my wife desperately needed the spray cleaner and she held it up next to a can of Lysol, and it turns out it has more of the active ingredient than Lysol. But here's my point, and I do have one. When she sprayed it, it smelled like Woodfield. Oh, my goodness. I need that. And oddly enough, um, the Hyatt Regency O'Hare, where Beetlefest has been held for the last 40 years and where flashback was supposed to be this year before it got canceled had a very specific 
uh, a cleaning smell. When you checked into the room, there was a very specific smell that I could never put my finger on until the one day I bought a bottle of shampoo from American Crew, and it was lime mint, and it was the smell of the Hyatt Regency O'Hare. See, I live for stuff like this. Smell, <laughs> smell is a very evocative sense. We forget yeah. this sometimes. Smell can take you back, man. Mm-hmm. I think my ideal mall smell would be at the apex of right where the the scent of Auntie Anne's and the scent of Cinnabon meet. Oh, that's good. I don't know if there's a place in the mall that that happens, but that's where I want to stand. But the only thing that got me through like eight hours of delayed flights in the LaGuardia terminal that they made fun of on SNL that one time <laughs> was the was the Auntie Anne's smell. <laughs> And this shows how long I go back because I'm older. There's another pretzel franchise that predates Auntie Anne's. Hot Sam's? And I'm tr- That's it, Hot Sam. Because, and I'm not proud of this, at the end of the night sometimes, and maybe I'm just making this up. This didn't really happen because it would be theft. Maybe the teenagers who worked at Hot Sam's and the teenagers who worked at Baskin Robbins worked out a deal where ice cream was exchanged for pretzels. Hmm. Erica used to love Hot Sam's because they did like chocolate dipped pretzels, but to me, Hot Sam sounds like a sex act that you don't want. (laughs) Even if it does involve chocolate. (laughs) I used to like the whole aura, not descent, but the aura of like the aura (laughs) where you had the... um, the Warner Brothers store directly across from the movie theater in the mall. And I don't know what they were doing with the light, the backlighting of those poster displays, but every movie that they had a poster of at the Woodfield Mall looked like the greatest movie you'll ever see in your life. Someone on the Twitter machine the other day was posting nostalgic pictures of mall stores. And it was pictures of Walden Books, Warner Brothers Studio Store, Suncoast Motion Picture Company and some arcade that was popular in malls. I know Randhurst had one, but uh, Gamers it, Paradise. Uh, I think maybe maybe that's what it was. But it was uh, it 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 certainly took me back. It was gentlemen. It was like the macaroon in remembrance of things past by Marcel Proust. Now kids just hang out on top of the parking garage. Um, across the street from my building and make noise at all hours of the night. And don't even know what macaroons are. <laughs> no. Um, if I could uh, tan- if I could uh, have a tangent here, um, did any of you follow any of the, uh, the DC fandom stuff over this past yeah. weekend? Was yeah. it weird seeing all of these teasers and all this press for movies that we're not sure will ever come out it was kind of exciting that's how i felt i was like boy this suicide squad movie from james gunn sure looks good i've been fooled once before but i'll give this one a shot how will i ever see it hey matt reeves the batman that's promising i don't think i'm ever going to see that like it just feels like i'm being teased with movies that will never see the light of day that's how it felt when um, I went to see Bloodshot with Mark on uh, the night before pretty much everything went you know, in shutdown. 
and it was just nonstop trailers for movies where I'm like, I'll see that in a year. Yeah. <laughs> it was real weird. Yes, the night before everything went south, I still remember debating whether or not to go to the TCM Fathom Events screening of King Kong. And God, God damn it, am I glad I went. <laughs> uh, any other movies that you want to mention, Adam? Uh, do you see Greyhound? I still haven't watched Greyhound. John, did you watch Greyhound? I, I, I've not seen it yet. I'm sort of saving it because it looks good. And I know the night's going to come when I need something good. Yeah. It's pretty good. I liked it. It's weird, though, because it's got... And maybe it's just watching it on TV and not in a theater. But the special effects felt akin to going on, like, Kong Skull Island at Universal Studios. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the ride I really like, so that's an endorsement. Or, like, Fast and Furious Supercharged, where you're just like, are these good special effects or not? (laughs) Fast and Furious Supercharged, I... It's... In both, I've been on it in both parks. I have very little patience. But Kong Skull Island in Florida, that's a hell of a ride. I like the queue. I'm a fan of that. that yeah, you could just you let, let people go ahead of you. Um, as I've mentioned before, I have a friend who works at Universal and let me, I don't know what you'd call it, avoid the line one day. And so I, I rode it like six times in a row. Just get off, get back on. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. All, all all the theme stuff when you're in line, it's very wonderful to just be there and look at it all. I might be confused. Is there a giant ape in Greyhound? Well, yes. spoiler okay. alert. Now I need to watch it. It's Germany. <laughs> And it's a gray back gorilla. Oh, I'm sorry, silverback. Said and whatever. <laughs> I was uh, last week working in the basement trying to get it all cleared up. It's finally all. It's done. It's ready. Um, nice. Yeah, it only took <laughs> six months or something. Congratulations. Uh, thank Congratulations. you. And I was watching one of those uh, drive-in delirium trailer reel discs because those are fun just to have on as background noise and the trailer for the 1976 Dino De Laurentiis King Kong came on and made me realize that I think King Kong is one of the only properties where it's been remade three times and I like all of the remake I like every version of King Kong I I would agree with that um Dino's an interesting character. This podcast is going to drop Wednesday, right? Correct. So your column will have have run. Yesterday, yesterday, all of you read the column on Flash Gordon, which, of course, De Laurentiis also produced. And he's he's a very interesting gentleman. Um, One year, G-Fest showed the 1976 King Kong at... The Pickwick Theater, and I hadn't seen it on a big screen in the longest time, and that movie plays, um, I think, mostly due to Jeff Bridges. Yeah, no, I like it all. Heath recently uh, suggested that some, some very small video company in some foreign country 
was going to put out the 76 conch on Blu-ray, and he was investigating whether it was legal or a disc of questionable legality. Hmm. But um, I had made some snot-nosed comment on the Twitter machine that we need it to be in high def for that one shot where it's the robot. (laughs) And I actually managed to post a GIF of the robot shot. My God, that's so weird. Um, But Jeff Bridges is so good in that movie. And I would argue Charles Grodin is really good, too. He's great. He's such a slim. Um, it's a Paramount title, and I know Scream Factory has been licensing stuff from Paramount now, so there's hope. I have this weird feeling, because lately, all these Blu-rays that I'm watching and buying and enjoying and reviewing for the site, one after another, the transfers are just getting so incredible. But I also am starting to think that eventually everything will come out, that we will get a Blu-ray of this, we will get a Blu-ray of this, and one day, perhaps on my deathbed, we will get a Blu-ray with bonus features of Can Hieronymus Merkin Ever Forget Mercy Humph and Find True Happiness? That would be a glorious day. That's my white whale, gentlemen. That is my <laughs> white whale. Are there any movies coming out that you two are looking forward to? Coming out in theaters? On VOD. Bill and Ted. Yeah. yeah. I want to see that. And then I just found out that they're on HBO Max on Thursday is a documentary about Action Park, which was nicknamed oh, Class Action Park. I saw, I saw the trailer. Was based off of it. Yeah. I saw the trailer for it and I, I was so disappointed that it wasn't available right then to watch. Yeah. My God, does it look good. That's one of the titles that's screening at Fantastic Fest, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Yeah, really looking forward to that. I'll watch Mulan, even though it's thirty bucks. Yeah, I will too. I, you know, I thought it looked good. I, I liked the trailers. Um, (laughs) I would like to get five other families that want to see Mulan and split it, but but of course you can't do that because then they would have to be in your house, and then that breaks the whole rule. And you know. You, you, both of you gentlemen know, and maybe I'm fooling myself, but I don't think I am. Would either of you say that I'm cheap? No, I would not say that. I think thirty bucks is a lot. It is, but again, somebody like me, who has a family of four, who would have gone to see it at the theater. And yeah, that's spent... seven bucks a piece, and that's. That's cheaper than the theater would exactly. I would have spent more than $30 had we gone to see Mulan. Now, it, you know, it's $30 on top of your Disney Plus subscription, so it's actually more than $30. But um, And are you renting it, or is that a purchase? My understanding is that it's a purchase. You get okay. you you can keep it until you no longer subscribe to Disney Plus. That's right. right. I right. read that somewhere. Because yeah. the other night, I actually bought Happy Happy Joy Joy. Because the difference between renting and buying it was three dollars. Yeah. Yeah, it's like normally I, I'm with you. Like I noticed, you know, thirty dollars for Milan, and then I went to look at like they they said you could pre-order Bill and Ted, and that was twenty five, and I'm just like, well, damn, if it's gonna be like thirty dollars a throw for every movie now, I don't know if I feel great about it, but. but 
if it's just, it's funny though it's kind of a fun game that's almost more fun than the movie is what is my price point on this movie <laughs> speaking and it's of just, price yeah it, of, oh sorry go ahead speaking of price point adam uh the two of us have till christmas to uh cancel our stub subscriptions yeah because then they're just going to start charging us again when yeah. will you be canceling your stub subscription uh, I don't know. I'll probably see how things are going when Bond comes out. And oh. if like it's still like it is right now, I'll probably just cancel the stub subscription. But I don't know. I don't I don't think I'll feel comfortable going to a movie theater until like a couple months after the vaccines start rolling out. Or well this started <laughs> This started this started as a joke. Yeah. But as we hurtle forward, it's becoming less and less of a joke that, that at the beginning of the quarantine, I was saying COVID free 2023. Mm-hmm. And now it's beginning to look like that might actually be the reality of it for me. But I like the idea of waiting for Bond. That's a good touchstone to make a decision. Yeah. I heard this is kind of a tangent, but like I heard a theory that dreams are supposed to represent things that you desire and things that you're afraid of. And I had a dream that I went to a movie theater and I went to go see and I made sure to pick out a screening where nobody else is in the theater. And what I ended up with was an 11.45 a.m. show of Master and Commander. I don't know why. Um, And I got in line and I went to get a popcorn. And when I turned around, 50 zombies were behind me. And that was the end of the dream. That's an intense dream. No, thank you. Yeah, no. I'll pass. Yeah. No. Did you say hall pass? Let's talk about hall pass. <laughs> What's your price point on hall pass? Free. <laughs> I I, I mean, I feel like I would spend 20 bucks on New Mutants if the New Mutants went to VOD this weekend just to see for myself if that movie actually exists or if all if it's all just a weird long con. Yeah. I want to call know. its bluff. It's like you wait till the end credits and that's where all the organized crime is. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess we can wrap up our, our weird summer rundown. You know, it, it, F this summer has never been more literal than, uh, <laughs> than in 2020. Truly <laughs> F this summer. Um, but thank you guys for jumping on here and, and talking about, you know, summer movies and, malls and whatever the hell else we talked about this was a you're welcome this was a show with a lot of tangents but it was fun thank you and adam you and i are talking uh bill and ted face the music next week correct we are yeah should be fun yeah it's gonna be good uh thank you guys again thanks for listening as always go to fthismovie.com to read stuff like jb's column on flash gordon and adam's reserve seating and our final summer 92 this week which is wrapping up with uh, (laughs) a banger and uh i got a question for you about that oh all right it's because the intent of summer 92 was we're not getting a summer movie season right so let's relive one did it feel like you had a summer movie season not at all neither did it with me (laughs) no part of that is because this was a that that 1992 summer was very very weird in some ways it was really good and in other ways, it was just weird. So, and and uh, that is demonstrated by uh, 
the dregs of late August that we get uh, with this week's offering. But uh, you can email yep. us at fthismoviepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're at fthismovie. Like and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Podcasts, wherever you happen to listen to your audio entertainment. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.